Welcome back to the Shock Absorber podcast. It is wonderful to have you along with us as always. And, uh, you know, I'm not going to go on with any more preamble. We're in a new location. Well, a special location. Stu and Tim, welcome. Welcome. Uh, Stu, can you tell us where we are? I keep saying welcome back. I should say thank you. <laughs> I appreciate it. appreciate you welcoming anyway. I yeah, yeah. Well, I suppose I can say welcome because we're at my place today. So we are. we're out in the front yard. Yeah, your beautiful location yeah, as yeah, always. Yeah, it's nice. In the bush. In the bush. We won't tell anyone where it is just in case. I want to dox you. No, dox. Yeah, what that's does dox the, mean? Dox, oh, that's where you release people's uh, private information online. Oh, yes. right. Yeah, yeah. yeah. Which is very weird um, when... Yeah, those of us who grew up in the 90s and everyone had a phone book, mm. had everyone's... Yeah, everyone's being doxxed. Everyone was just there. So mm. but now it's kind of weird to know what it was addressed. Is that because anyone in the world could see where you're addressed? Maybe, maybe it's a yeah, factor of the global global economy, global awareness. Mm. I hadn't thought of that before. That's yeah. really interesting. So we won't dox you. <laughs> <laughs> but this is, this is lovely. It's lovely to be here. And the reason that we are here, as we were calling it, this magnificent vista... Um, it's because we had a staff planning day today and for an upcoming church planning day and we thought we'd give people a little peek behind the curtain <laughs> of how we, we were operating as a church again um, and what we actually thought. So, uh, Stu, any particular reflections after, quick reflections after the today of what we did? It's really good to get the staff together with our spouses that could make it and it was lovely to have a bit of a think about where where we've gone this year as we started last year we started a new 10-year goal called double up mm. and in our framework we feel like jesus is growing the church and we're just partnering with him as he grows the church and so our idea is that methodically over the next 10 years we just keep preparing for that partnership with jesus and look at our our discipleship goals our mission goals and our resource goals and see what we could do so we thought it'd be good to have a bit of a head around where we think we're at before we go to the planning day so we can be helpful to the community and uh, yeah, that'll be in a couple of weeks. So I think that'll be good. Mm, uh, Tim, any quick reflections on overall of the day? Yeah, I think it's been really, really, really helpful just to continue to clarify uh, what we're doing as a church. Make sure, yeah, um, we're all, we are all on the same page, but just to clarify language and you know, the different uh, schemas, I guess, like different uh, ways of thinking about the way we do church. Um, and we'll probably talk about this more, but just that we've got different frameworks that we sort of think about things through and each of them are helpful and bring a different perspective. And it just means that when someone has a new idea or a tweak of an idea or whether we should stop an idea, like all of those can be assessed through these different frameworks. Um, and for us as a staff team to all nut it out together to, to draw it all up on the board and just go, yeah, this is, this, we all agree on this. This is wonderful. And so that can help um, when you've got that uh, agreement as a team you can yeah, then push forward towards results, which mm -hmm. is great. Yeah, uh, I was thinking also that it was just cool to get clear, like you said, Tim, on what we were doing. So then um, she helpfully said before, if there's is it mist in the pulpit, there's fog in the congregation. Is that yep. right? Yep. And I think that's a helpful thing to start thinking about is to be clear before we go in front of the whole church and say, this is how we want to move forward on this planning day. That makes a lot of sense. Mm. Um, now, what else was I going to say? Oh, the, uh, the other thing that I w reflected on was that uh, I think it was cool, and I appreciate uh, that you helped us to do this, Stu, as well, was... Uh, at the start, I'm usually just like, all right, let's get into it. But you're like, no, we're going to stop for a second. We're going to actually pray and ask God to, <laughs> I mean, I've prayed, like, give us give us good ideas, please, God, because I think that was really important to do as well. And I think, I wonder if, I mean, it could be just my temperament of just like, let's just do it all on our own. I think it's helpful to realize it's, it's God's going to work through the church no mm -hmm. matter what. And I think that's why it's helpful you said, uh, we're just partnering in Jesus as he as he makes it happen. So mm. I thought that was cool. Uh, I have a before we have a maybe talk about a cultural artifact idea that we had. Why why even have a planning day for the planning day though? <laughs> well, it it relates to that phrase you use. <coughs> mist in the pulpit creates fog in the congregation. So if the preacher's a little bit unclear, then the congregation who listen to that are going to be more unclear. Mm. So. We just felt that as a staff, it'd be good for us to have our head around where we think we're at and where we think we've been going as we come in, not to prescribe the day for the planning day, but to prepare ourselves as leaders to be helpful to answer questions and to 
I suppose to be better listeners as well because to become more aware of the problems that we're facing and the shortfalls that we have and the things that we need to improve on like if we know what that some of those things are before we go into the day then we'll be better at listening to people when they bring those things up so we'll go oh yeah we were kind of hoping someone might have an idea around that so that sort of thing yeah yeah and was that helpful for you Tim just planning for the planning day (laughs) sorry I just like saying that (laughs) yeah no it is it is really good and um, the reason we have a a planning day as a whole church is we want everyone to come in and have voice and have um, opinion. As Stu said, we're not just prescribing. Like we're not. We could just come in and say, "Hey, as the leaders, we're doing this," and just be communicate um, and just say, we're, "We're doing this. Come along with us." But we, you also don't want to go in completely with the blank sheet and go, "Hey, we've got no idea what we're doing. So what should we do?" So mm. having this day as a staff team where we think about the direction, the strategies, the frameworks in which we can make decisions. And then we can go to the plan day and say, hey, we are offering the leadership here by providing these uh, frameworks, these uh, foundations, these principles of how we do church together. Now, as a whole church, we have the opportunity to input into that and help uh, make, put that into practice. Mm -hmm. So I think it's really good for us to have that clarity. Um, But it is important for us that we do have a, planning day where others can have voice and, and it can help shape the church as well. Well, I was going to ask you that question. Maybe Stu, you can help me this because I think some of the approaches that you have to involving other people in the church, not just the leadership team, uh, I know a lot of it comes from what you learned through your political science degree and things like that. Is that why is it, why is it a good idea to ask people to be part of a planning day as a whole church? Well, I think it's, uh, as you said, I've, I've got an interest in a certain political discipline called grassroots movement theories where people organise their communities at the grassroots and what they can achieve together at the grassroots of of community. Uh, so that's one thing. But theologically, I think we're a priesthood of all believers and I think that bringing all the gathered community together under the Word of God to sit together to try and discern uh, how to move forward under... Jesus' leadership is a really good thing to do. Mm. So I think that's what I get excited about. Mm. Yeah, I think it's... I mean, I always say Soul Revival Church is the only church I've been part of, but I feel like it's an exciting thing even as... I mean, I only work for... I'm on staff, but I only work one day a week. It's kind of funny, interesting to be part of the planning day, but I'll also be uh, not a full-time staff member as well. So kind of bridging the gap between those two is actually helpful to go, I'm kind of a part you know, part-time worker, but also, and just in the church as well. So mm. I think it's helpful to see other people being part of that to to actually have a voice as well, mm. I think. And, and actually, this is what I've been praying about, or this is what I've been thinking about. Does this fit with how and what we're doing as a church? Mm. And and ultimately, does it align with what God is trying to, is, is not trying, what God is doing through, mm. through us? Um, and then I suppose that leads on to the cultural artifact that I was thinking about was, I really like in movies, we don't have one particular one, but I really like in movies how there's always that montage of building a team. And I think that kind of relates maybe to what we were doing today, but it's kind of like we were seeing today is like lots of people had uh, different perspectives on different things and we all worked together to achieve some uh, goal, which was to be a, a, you know be clear in what we're going to do in the upcoming planning day for church. So I was thinking of... Hang on, I've got to remember it. There's a, I think it's the movie's called The Replacements and it's like an NFL team and they can't, the normal NFL team don't actually be part of it. And so they have to go around find, finding crazy people that will actually play in the team. Like <laughs> some crazy Welsh football player becomes the kicker <laughs> and he's a bit, he's hard drinking, hard smoking kind of guy. And yeah. there's, there's a lot of other um, things like that. I was, we, we talked about it before. I can't think of any other movies. Well, I was thinking about... Um, like Ocean's Eleven. Oh yes. And then Ocean's Twelve, like they got to, you know, when they do all the any of those heist movies where it's like, Oh, we, yes. we need the explosive the expert, oh, we yeah, need yeah. the, oh, the Italian know, the tech job. guy, we need the yeah, the, yeah, those mm. kind of movies. Yep. Um yeah. Uh, and you said Mighty Ducks, that's the other one I remember. <laughs> that was the, Yeah, yeah, yeah. Yeah, they've got it again, it's his own I haven't seen the replacements, but yeah. it's kinda of that kind of idea of like you've got a half baked team and you need to find others, so they're just going around the community mm. finding 
kids that can do some and this guy can yeah, you know, hit really hard, but he's completely inaccurate. And yeah, you know, this guy is really, really fast, but can't stop. And yeah. But it's yeah, pulling all these you know misfits yeah. together mm, yep. um, to actually create a team to go on and win mm. the championships. And yeah, you know, we're a group of misfits sitting around a table, hoping to <laughs> yeah you know, achieve something under God for yeah, His glory. So yeah, yeah. Any other? Did you? Can you think of any other Stu? I think all those kind of teams. A lot of war movies do that too. They have oh, all yeah. the people who are in the you know Memphis Bell when you introduce to all the. Yep. Bomber crew that's going to be flying over wherever, stuff like that. No, Saving what? Private Ryan. Yep. Right, yeah. Obviously, what's the, um, that SBS Rogues? Rogue Heroes. Rogue, Rogue Heroes. 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 Yeah, we've yeah. talked yeah. about that a couple of times. Kind of thing. Yeah, yeah. <laughs> Season two coming out soon, by the way. Oh, very, right. yeah. very excited for that. <laughs> anyway. It's very interesting putting ACDC along with footage from World War Two of yeah, people blowing planes up. Yeah, that is a bit odd. Uh, I think it's because it's uh, the guy um, in Peaky Blinders, they did that show and they mm. did the similar thing of having Peaky Blinders is in the 1920s in Birmingham in England but mm. it's got modern music over mm. the top of it like yeah, Nick Cave right. and things oh, like does that it? Yeah. yeah right. I haven't watched that series yet yeah I started again because I do like gangster stuff but I don't know I don't I don't think it really drew me in as much I think because the music annoyed me mm. oh right which is it didn't annoy me as much in Rogue mm. Heroes which is odd <laughs> Well, I like ACDC, so... <laughs> Me too. <laughs> uh, cool. Well, let's actually go on to some of the things that we actually came out of the, the, got, came out of the planning day for the church planning day. Mm. Uh, uh, it was, you mentioned frameworks before, Tim. Any mm. particular one that stood out to you that we can kind of talk about and might, might be helpful for other people if they're thinking about doing a planning day? Well, yeah, I mean, we, we ended up with four different frameworks. I don't know how many you want to go through, but the, the most significant one is um, to our theology strategy practice. So that's the first framework to work through. Um, and this is really important because you're, as a church, you want to be driven by theology that you believe is, is coming from the Bible. It's God's prescribed word. Um, we want God to be setting our agenda and our priorities, and that's why you go to theology first and one of the things that we have articulated a number of times is that our theology is uh, its evangelical, it's reformed, and so we share the same theology as pretty much every Anglican church in our neck of the woods, most you know, Presbyterian, um, you know, a lot of Baptist churches, yeah, a lot of congregational churches. Like There's, there's a huge um, group of sort of evangelical, reformed churches that would share the same theologies as us. Um, and then uh, the, the to go at the other end, the practice, um, churches all over the place look different to each other. Um, and so, and one of the things that we've talked about a lot on these podcasts uh, is the distinctives of Soul Revival and why it looks a little bit different, why it feels a little bit different when you come along and you say, oh, this is, some of this feels familiar, but some of it feels very different. Um, and the question is, like, how do you end up with churches that believe all the same things theologically, but end up with very different practices? And the key is the middle bit, which is your strategy. So how do you actually um, implement those theologies into a particular practice? Um, and one of the observations, and Stu mentioned um, Tim Keller has made this observation, that not many people analyse their strategy. Um, they, they think, oh, here's the theology, so I believe this about God and therefore we do this. Um, I believe this about the church, therefore I do this. Um, and that is just slightly simplistic, as in there's always something else in the middle that's driving it. And for many churches, it is an invisible middle. Mm. What we've tried to make really clear is the explicit middle what is the strategy and so we spend a lot of time yes affirming theology but we spend a lot of time as a church and planning days is a really key example of this where we really are clearly articulate our strategic distinctives which helps people to understand why we do things differently um, and why our practice may look a little bit different so people particularly those who may have been to other anglican or other you know evangelical churches um, elsewhere and come in and they go, oh, why don't you guys do X, Y, Z? They've got ideas that they've seen work well in their other churches. And they go, oh, you should do this because I've seen that work here. Oh, you, why don't you guys do things like this because we've seen that work here? And uh, sometimes they're just good ideas. We go, yeah, well, that's really good. Man, we can think about that. And other times it's, oh, no, actually, we very intentionally don't do that because let me explain it to you. Mm. And you can work through your strategy like that as well. So that, that's the first framework to think through is the theology strategy practice. Um, and that's your first yeah, set of things to think through. I recently heard um, 
a writer talk about I, th- I don't know if Napoleon said it or not but he was it was talk- it was based on a, a general somewhere and he talked about you can either be in strategic heaven or um, uh, tactical hell which I thought was <laughs> quite an interesting way to think because it, 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 it often people do skip that strategic part which I think as we've spoken before in terms of uh, implementing it across an organisation anywhere I think as we said theology like we don't want to change the theology at all but the strategy you can, but it's it needs to be really articulated really clearly, and I think it's probably the hardest thing to get right. Would you agree with that, Stu? That's the hardest thing to get right. Yeah, I think so. I think for for us in our situation, theologically, we're aligned with the Sydney Anglican Church, and mm. we're a Reformed Evangelical Church, and so theologically, all our pastors are trained through more college. Uh, some of us have been to a college called SMBC as well, but most of us have gone through the same Anglican college well all of us and some of us also at the sydney missionary and bible college but the uh the outcome of that is there is an alignment on reading the bible how we understand reading the bible how we apply that and so um so theologically that's it's not easier but it's actually fairly clear yeah we get we get taught that at Bible College, but then when you leave Bible College, there are subjects at Bible College on being in ministry, and there's a lot of post-ministry training and stuff. And I'm not sure what the latest is on post, um, more college training or post-college training in different denominations. But one thing that a lot of us get left with is work out how to do the practice of ministry yourself in your context of your church. And when someone goes in, applies for a job at a church and they get put on as a pastor, whether it be senior pastor or an assistant pastor, often there's a certain uh, culture in that church that a lot of people assume is it often don't talk about, but it's just there. It structures the church. So I think sometimes we work with what's there. Sometimes we do try and create different things. But often in churches, people get a little bit unsettled when you change things too. So often you just inherit strategy from the past. Mm. So sometimes the generation that thought that strategy through has not necessarily passed on the why to the next generation and they haven't really explained why that strategy is there the strategy just gets rolling on a good example of that is the homogeneous unit principle which is really common in sydney churches and for churches that are big enough to have a service for a traditional service for the retirees have a family service and then a youth service on a sunday uh, that is a strategy. It's not necessarily a theological outcome. It's just a, a, an awareness that in our culture, young people don't tend to hang out with families. Families don't tend to hang out with their grandparents anymore. We, we live in a very stratified world. Uh, people are more individualistic and more consumer-driven, so people are looking for a service that meets their particular needs. And so that model was developed in the 70s to try and uh, accommodate a context to preach the same unchanging gospel into a changing world, they develop that strategy. And the practices that come from that are, as I said, different services for different age groups. So around us in the Southern Shire and the south of Sydney, where there's a lot of churches that have that framework where people have gone to a church when they're young, they go to the family service, and then when they get become a teenager, they might move to the evening service. And then when they get married and have kids, they often move back to the morning service again. That's kind of the, the role of it. Uh, so in my experience I don't notice people moving from the family service to the to the traditional service because uh, baby boomers don't seem to be as stoked on the prayer book services as the as the builder generation the, the, the generation before them but for us when people come to our church and there's no specific age well, there's no age-specific services, yeah. and they can sometimes go, oh, what's, what's with this? You're teaching the same Bible expository teaching that I'd get at another church, but you're doing it in the context of a big family, not in the context of just a, a certain group of people. So uh, the whole idea, and those people who are excited about homogeneous unit services, looking for a service for them, they might not quite get that. And then when, as we try and explain it, uh, sometimes people think, is it really necessary to have anything different? Why do we? Why can't we just be the same as every other church? Uh, the other, on the other hand of it, though, people who are into intergenerational ministry might notice that we don't necessarily just bring the kids into church every week. 
as our expression of intergenerational ministry. Because if you think about it, churches that have one Sunday school for the family service and they bring those kids into that family service, they call that intergenerational, but there tends not to be as many, in bigger churches anyway, there tends not to be many teenagers or many old people in that service. So it's only intergenerational as they sing the songs within the family context of other families. And so to me that's still homogeneous actually. Um, in smaller churches where there is uh, a big family present, obviously that is more intergenerational. But um, I think when people see those differences in practice, they often don't have a framework to try and discern what's happening because we don't tend to uh, teach our people how to think about applying church as have an unchanging theology, work out how to preach that theology in the context where you are and then have practices that come from the theology and the strategy. So um, I think that's a really helpful paradigm because also if you look around the world, there's all sorts of different models of church around. Mm. And if you go to Africa to church and you only had a one-hour church service, that wouldn't make sense because some people have walked for hours to get to church and if they're only there for an hour and turn around and go home, they'd be like, yeah. oh, you know, that's a bit silly. Like, But here mm. in Sydney, people seem to be pretty busy and to stay more than an hour at church would kind of not make sense for a lot of people in Sydney. So that's where you get those two different strategies in those two different contexts, short service in Sydney, long service in Africa. So the practice looks different in the two countries, even if they have the same theological convictions. Mm. Yeah, I think I'm probably just going to reiterate it again, but I just think, yeah, that the strategy is the mis- often the missing piece, isn't it, to actually understand what's going on. Mm. And I suppose that's what maybe what I'm saying and what we're saying is that yeah, you really work hard on your st- or try your best to work hard on the strategy because I think it's really important for church. Um, so underneath practice, which was the kind of the third part of that framework that you mentioned, Tim, we split up our uh, 2030 goals that we uh, worked out last year into three categories, which was discipleship, mission and resources. And the resources are to support those two other categories of discipleship and mission. But I, I might not go through all of them, but there was one that was, was kind of interesting that we were talking about is under the mission uh, category. We have we have like kind of three sub-goals under each one. Uh, and under mission, it's personal evangelism, partnership evangelism. And the one I thought to, that interested me that we talked about a lot was it was originally called growth in membership, but we decided to change the name. Uh, do you want to go through that? Or we decided to at least think about changing the name and we came up with some ideas. Do you want to at least talk about that and maybe start with you, Tim, if you've got any ideas around or any thoughts around why we decided to rethink that? Yeah, so, I mean, it originally framed, as you said, growth in membership. And the the problem is trying to encapsulate simply uh, a number of different things. And whenever you try and encapsulate something simply, you always come with baggage to those words or you, you need to further explain it. One of the things, because it's under our mission strategy, we really want to be able to articulate and measure and have indicators for those who are becoming Christians, like moving from darkness to light, you know, outside of the kingdom into the kingdom because of the ministry of soul revival. Like, are we actually doing what Jesus commanded in um, Matthew 28 to go and make disciples of all nations, uh, teaching them all to obey all that I have commanded you? So the... You know, teaching them the ongoingness of discipleship is what we've captured in that first um, one, the discipleship. So uh, growing Christians to be deeper in their knowledge, love and obedience to Christ, that, that's all we can capture in that first one. We really want to make sure that we're capturing also those who are becoming Christians. So that's why it's in the mission category. Um, the, the, some of the problems with that is uh, what are you, how are you actually counting that? Are you just, if you're counting membership uh, are they people who you know have signed we don't have official membership in the anglican church um, but it's people who have coming regularly um, and you might have people who have moved to our church and so our church might be growing numerically because there are christians from other churches who have come to our church christians who have moved to um, where we are in the southern shire um, and are looking for a new church and so have grown our church. So our church could grow in membership, but without any actual conversions. Um, and we're like, well, that, that's not quite what we want to measure. And so is, is, what's the right word there? Um, and so we also don't want to discount the fact that some, sometimes people move churches for very 
valid reasons um, and they might be, uh, again, geographic movement is a really significant one. Um, you know, you might have people who, uh, you know, a situation occurs or they're feeling uh, burnt out or for some reason their current church is not working for them. They come to our church, they feel refreshed, they feel inspired. Um, it's really exciting. That's lovely. Um, and it's worth celebrating those things as well. But also you're still not quite counting conversion. So it's trying to work out how do we, how is the ministry of Soul Revival contributing to uh, kingdom growth. So um, at the moment, we kind of flagged in there, maybe it's growth in the kingdom of God. Um, And what we liked about that was, yes, it is going to be conversion growth. It's going to be those who are not yet Christians who become Christians because of the ministry of soul revival. Um, It might also be able to measure the way that we're influencing and resourcing churches outside of the soul revival network where mission is happening. So we have mission partners in Brewarana and Papua New Guinea and, um, you know, and other places locally and around the world. So when people become Christians or the gospel grows in Brewarana, it wasn't soul revival per se, but we did have um, impact there because of the way that we partner with them, we're friends with them, we're helping resource them. And um, So, yeah, it's still a little bit fluid, but that was there were some of the tensions we were playing with. We don't... We don't just want a large church for large church's sake. We don't just, uh, sometimes people joke about, you know, you're just moving sheep around different paddocks. You know, <laughs> in the same, like you just have the same Christians uh, who are moving between churches. So some churches grow, some churches shrink. But all that's happened is that the Christians who are already Christians are just moving between different local churches. And that's, you know, again, we've, there's, sometimes there's good reasons for that, but it's also not the key thing we want to measure, even though, that can be helpful too. So it's it's trying to balance all of those things together uh, that we're trying to capture in that value um, because we've got the heart for the lost and we want to keep that on the agenda as well. Mm. We want to make sure that our church has a heart for those who are not yet Christians. Mm. Um, and, a, and a key way, I suppose, of doubling up is that we don't want to just measure bums on seats, but it's, an, it's still an important thing to know. Like how many... Are people becoming Christians? That's right. what we're really trying to ask. Yeah. I remember even like talking about trying to change it from membership. Um, Christine, uh, Jai's wife, Jai's a pastor here at Sora Bible. And um, she said like, well, I just became a member of the local RSL for three years <laughs> and it only cost me $12. Yeah. Is that, I was going to ask you, Stu, though, is that the kind of, is that the similar kind of reaction you thought of when we started looking at the word membership or was it a little bit, a little bit less uh, intense? Well, I think, I think as Tim said, you become a member of an Anglican church if you're there for a month or two or something. And with a Baptist church, you actually go through a course and actually become a member and you have to be allowed to become a member. So it's a bit of a different thing. So we, that, that was one thing we're thinking about. But the other thing we were thinking about was, that we do want to see people. We, the idea of the mission is to say, are we encouraging our community in their personal mission and evangelism? Are we in partnership evangelism, working together, and are people actually becoming Christians? So that's what we wanted to capture with that. Mm. And we thought that um, it was it was really nice to talk about the kingdom of God in that, as we've already, as Tim already said, with some of our partners that we're involved with outside our church as well as inside. Yeah. Yeah. It was, it was, I enjoyed the discussion. We took a while to get to that uh, mm. idea of calling, growing the kingdom of God. But mm. when I can't remember who said it actually, but when mm. I think I can't remember, but whoever said it, everyone just went, "Oh yeah, that's mm. that's that's a good one." So yeah. that was fun, and that's what's good about a staff planning day before yeah. having a planning day for the whole church. I don't know if everyone who's listening actually has planning days in their church every year, but I think they're they're great because you need to keep reflecting on what you have been talking about and what you're doing next all the time and yeah i found that reflection this morning really helpful and we also talked about our discipleship goals this morning too that we're still about um growing people in their personal maturity using the bible uh we also talked about the uh idea of growing a leadership community not just having a big roster of people who are on rosters but having Mm. a team of people that are friends with each other and they're actually enjoying being a family being a body of christ working together not siloed having some really healthiness there and then having healthy community as well across the church and within the different aspects of the church as well so i thought those discipleship goals were really good and when we got to the resource goals i thought that was helpful too because we talked about 
um, measuring how many leaders we've got for each of our ministries, measuring our logistics, and then measuring the local capacity of each of our ministry teams. Because sometimes we just take for granted that that team's been doing ministry for a long time and it'll keep doing ministry, but sometimes personnel changes within the leadership team mean that it's not actually possible to continue on. So giving permission for there to be a bit of a ministry slide where people can slide out of ministry if they can't do that anymore, but also as a community, has that community that's been working together, whether it be a Bible study or a youth group or a or a church service itself, has it still got the capacity to do the ministry that it was has been doing for a while? Sometimes the answer is no. It needs to needs to to restructure so that people don't get burnt out or sometimes it grows and what does that growth look like and how do you plan for that so i really like that that discipleship mission and resource framework because it helps me to just think through each thing that we do uh, in terms of is this something that's theological is it strategic is it discipleship or mission and you know what resources are there for it to happen so at a planning day when someone comes up with ideas no ideas are a bad idea and when you start brainstorming uh and we just you know always collect people's ideas but this year's planning day is going to be a bit different for us because we're going to be talking more about implementing this double up strategy that we had at our planning day last year because last year was a 10-year planning day and we're trying to say over the next 10 years where would we like to go as a church and we're thinking if God continues to grow us in the same way as he has in the first 10 years then we will double up as a church uh, if he doesn't that's okay but let's be prepared for that if we need to so I'm actually a little bit more excited about this planning day than even last year's because last year was more like what's just a whole heap of ideas that we need to think through as we as we move forward to the next 10 years but now we're like how do we put those into practice what are the things that are stopping us what are the things that are helping us yeah it's really exciting and that's where we like using the first framework that we're talking about of the theology strategy practice is mm. we're using it to qualify those ideas mm. and then how to and this year is and how do we implement them like yeah. you said and i think yeah. uh yeah i'm pretty excited about it too <laughs> and see how it goes mm. there, w- there was a couple of other frameworks though that we talked about. Tim, you did such a great job of articulating <laughs> theology strategy practice. I really enjoyed that. So thank you for that. Do you want to, the other two we had was service teams or and gatherings. Do you want to pick one of those and kind of think about like what we were talking about with those? Yeah. So this is the way that we then structure uh, the implementation of our ministries. And so we have, uh, we have 10 service teams, which um, ideally work across all of our gatherings. And then we have our gathering teams which should have a representative from every service team so they they should be you should be able to draw like a a matrix um and have a you know a coordinator in each box is kind of the ideal um we're not there yet there we've got holes um in our ministry framework um but that is the ideal that you've got these these 10 service areas across each of our gatherings so we have six gatherings um across our church so we've got friday night at kiraway uh, we've got Saturday night at Kira, we've got Saturday night at Ride, we've got Sunday morning at Yarrawarra, Sunday morning at Kirawee and Sunday night at Cronulla. So we've got those six frameworks so that we spend some time on our planning day that the people who attend each of those gatherings will go to those gatherings and think about, okay, in our particular gathering, how do we start to implement some of these ideas? What do we need to do? What is specific to Sunday morning at Kirawee? that we can do to grow our mission, discipleship and resources. Um, what is distinctive to RIDE, where we can do those. So, um, and the people who are attending those gatherings, invested in those gatherings can help shape those uh, things. And then we'll break up into the, uh, we'll also spend time in our 10 um, service teams. Um, oh, sorry, I'll just backtrack. So what it should mean is that when we gather as gatherings, when we come together as gatherings <laughs> around a piece of paper, um, we should have representatives from each of those 10. So someone can speak about art, someone can speak about welcoming, someone can speak about world, someone can speak about kids, youth, etc. Um, and we, so we can have a holistic interpretation of that gathering. How is it going against those 10 service teams? And then we flip it. Then we break up into the 10 service teams. And this is where I'm going to come a little bit unstuck because my brain doesn't <laughs> hold that many in one time. Yeah, there's a few. Yeah, so have, we'll you got them, you have you got them? Have you got them? Not not all of them. All right, right. Okay. Good, a good way to good 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 way to think about it is in ministry pairs. So oh yes, so we've got. Do you want to take them through? Yeah, so I mean, some churches only have five 
areas of ministry, that 5Ms model, for example. But our framework is 10 because we are encouraging volunteers to be involved in ministry and we want to have a really broad cross-section of different ministries that that cover all the different giftednesses of people in the church and the things that we need to do. But also those 10 service teams kind of work together as in, in pairs, so there's kind of best of both worlds in that. But the pairs, as I, as I off the top of my head, so we've got uh, youth and kids, we've got Berea and community groups, we've got hospitality and life support, and we've got arts and communication. Mm. I think I've covered all. And, then, and then welcoming in the world. Did I leave that out? Yes, I think you just missed and that one. Welcoming in world. Five groups too. Yeah, so we could talk about each of those teams if, oh, maybe even on another podcast actually. But the good idea about any church is to say, you know, after you've done your thinking of theology, strategy, and practice, say you've got a new idea. What is it theologically aligned? Is it strategically aligned? And is it a discipleship, a mission goal, or a resource goal? then the next thing you can do is who's going to implement that goal. And so the service teams are great because if there's a goal to have uh, more music at the church, then the arts team in our context runs the music ministry, for example. So when you get to a gathering, if there's a gathering that's missing music, it works the other way as well. So the gathering might be missing music, so they say to the service team, we need some more music. That's how it works. So you guys have done really well of articulating it, and it, there's a lot of thought and it's gone behind it. I mean, Stu, you've been thinking about this for a very, very long time, and as, as we have as a staff team. Um, do you think uh, people at our church planning day will be receptive to these frameworks that we've kind of developed um, for this particular planning day? I think people really like to know there's a bit of direction, a bit of structure and some vision. I don't think they'll know all the detail of all of these things. In it. And even as we're talking about in this podcast, some of our listeners might get the vibe but not really understand the whole thing feel free to reach out to us if you are interested in digging into it a bit more because we are in this podcast just sharing things as they're happening so this is a bit of a emerging thing but we're hoping down the track to actually have something put together that can explain how churches that are looking to do a similar thing could could take some of these ideas on board but i think i think the thing that people will like is that we have a theological foundation that we have some kind of thought through strategy we're not just randomly doing ministry and that our practice comes from those two things and then i think people like the idea that there is a structure to the ministry teams and different churches do different ways of structuring but it's important that they're not siloed ministries that often what can happen is the different um, ministries in church can not talk to each other so a famous one is kids and youth ministry hey tim me speaking as a youth minister and you as a children's minister, we've worked really hard at kind of bringing our kids and youth ministry together. But we've also seen lots of contexts where that doesn't happen. So having a ministry team that says we're 10 teams but we're one team and we're all coming together is really good. And then the last piece is often in churches that I've witnessed is different gatherings within a church can become churches in their own right and not really have much sense of why is it important to be part of the whole and if they are part of the whole what does that look like so some of our events that flow out of those frameworks that we've described are things like easter we all come together and christmas we all come together we go away for a week away together once a year we have a planning day we have agm but when we do those things sometimes people hang loose to them in some context and they're a bit token but we're actually trying to say we actually want to see people having relationships across services mm. and gatherings. And one of the easy ways we do it is that all our services are all age, all stage. So it doesn't matter if you can go on Friday or, or Sunday night, you're going to be welcome because you're not going to walk into a service and people are going to say, oh, actually, this isn't really for you. You're, you're the wrong age or you're the wrong mm. demographic yeah. for this service. So that's what we mean by all age, all stage. It's not necessarily that all the generations are together doing everything together all the time. It's just that in all our spaces on our gatherings that everyone's welcome and that's a really important distinctive of what we do, I think. And um, sometimes there's not a lot more to it than that, actually. Like, it's just it doesn't matter what stage you're at or age you are, you're welcome at any of our gatherings. So that means if I can't make it on Saturday night, I could rock along on Sunday morning and hopefully have a similar experience. Now, I think when we come to the planning day and we explain that, I think often people understand what they experience and sometimes they just zone out when you try and explain a whole heap of theoretical concepts to them that they don't see the relevance to it really because they just come for the experience of and the practical experience is where a lot of people think. 
Um, part of that practical experience is the theology that's taught through the Bible. But the strategy piece is people don't tend to care about that too much unless they really want to get involved in a thinking through solving problems because what strategy does is it solves problems because if you don't have any strategies articulated, when something goes wrong, you don't know why it's going wrong and you don't have any solutions to fixing it up. So I think uh, running a church without strategy is like driving a car that you never service <laughs> because you're just going to drive it around. Mm. All you care about is that the car drives and you put the petrol in it every day and it drives around, or not every day, but you put the petrol in and church is a bit like that the petrol is the teaching you you teach everyone and you drive the church around and everyone's happy but in terms of say the the brakes fail people are like well what's the purpose of the brakes and where are they and what do they do i think the challenge is trying to help christians to realize it's actually good to have a bit of an idea about the mechanics of your car to have a bit of an idea of what sort of car it is is it electric or is it petrol like that's a similar thing to a strategy is it homogeneous unit principle or is it so people tune out when you say oh this is a all age all stage church and oh, it doesn't really matter but it is important because you don't want to go to the petrol station and fill a petrol car up with diesel because you've got to have some understanding of what the car is kind of trying to do i suppose so i think that that's a challenge for leadership uh, particularly in our context when we're an experimental church and we've been using iterative design to design a lot of our stuff and some things have worked and some things haven't. So we do need a degree of patience from the congregation as we try things, but also a, an understanding of what we're trying to move towards generally and what's the, the shape that we hope that it'll be as we do those experiments. So our challenge on the planning day is going to be can we explain the architecture of our car without boring everybody to death because mm. people don't tend to get their manuals out of their glove boxes in their cars and read it as, as nighttime reading at night. They don't really care. They just want to get in their car and drive it. And get to where they need to go. Mm. Uh, that's an interesting point, isn't it? So how, do you, yeah, how are we going to communicate it clearly as well? Um, Tim, you and I like earlier just had a, a discussion early this morning about storytelling mm. and how like if you're writing something, storytelling is really important um, thing to have in your writing you said you're not heaps keen on that and I, and I find it interesting because Stu was saying like the uh, the electric or internal combustion engine comparison is a really good one to explain strategy what do you think and this is me we're almost spitballing ideas like what do you think would be helpful in terms of storytelling at the planning day coming up is there do you have any ideas for that but and or you can uh, actually say why you don't think storytelling is that important when you're you're, you're writing? <laughs> oh, it's, I don't think it's not necessarily important. It's just that not it's not how my brain works. <laughs> um, so, good writers who are not me use a lot of stories to illustrate the point, and I often get a little frustrated. Just just tell me the point. Just distill it down <laughs> to the idea. Um, but I I function you know at a you know, obviously the theoretical, like that, that's where it gets my brain excited. Okay. Um, and so that's the kind of stuff that I love reading about and love exploring uh, and stimulating the thought. But I also understand that um, most people are not like that. So they need the stories. And, and I do appreciate um, good stories and good illustrations and um, probably more in my training than in my writing. I'm often giving examples of, you know, well, here's what I've seen in practice. And so I, I probably am doing more storytelling than I give myself credit for. <laughs> Um, but I think probably one of the things that we can continue to do in articulation is to just name those differences. And I think a lot of people have come to visit our church and uh, many of those have stuck around um, because they notice things are a little bit different and those things have been attractive, but they can't necessarily put their finger on it mm -hmm. and articulate what it is that they've noticed that's different um, or they think they know what it means because they've picked up one or two bits of information um, so they picked up intergenerational they go oh that's that's what you mean and then they filtered that through how they understand that word to mean and therefore they might get frustrated when they don't do what we don't do as a church what they think that word means, for example. Um, or it might be the community aspect. We put a meal against every service and that's really significant to us that we are eating together, that we're spending a long time together. And a lot of people like that but may not understand the why behind that. 
And so I think one of the things to help just to communicate is just to name the differences and to show where in our strategy or theology that particular practice might come from. And that might just give people that light bulb moment of, oh, right, I always figured there was a little bit weird that you guys did this or it was a little bit strange and, and I really liked that but I didn't know why. You know, helping people to understand I think that kind of helps. And so the, the stories, the illustrations can just come from our own practice. You've seen us do this. Well, let's explain why that is. And it also helps that when people pitch new ideas, uh, which they did last year, we, as you said, we spent most of last year just garnering a whole lot of different ideas. We're going to do less of that this year. It's not about gathering ideas. It's more about um, implementing things that we've committed to doing and getting buy-in on that. But when people do pitch a new idea, um, we can show them in the theology strategy practice or in the service teams or in the gathering teams uh, why that idea is not the best decision for right now um, or why it's not the best decision for our church, even if it's a really wonderful idea. Mm-hmm. And this is one of the things we talked about as well uh, today on, at the planning planning for the planning day um, and we've talked about the um, stuff uh, on, sorry on this podcast before as well is not every church needs to pull off every good gospel idea so there's going to be lots of ideas that are theologically aligned so we could say yeah it ticks that first box um, but maybe it's not strategically aligned it's it fits better for some other strategy but not for our strategy or it might even be strategically aligned and would be great to put into practice but we just don't currently have the resources for it um, for example at the moment uh, our church doesn't run any playgroups uh, across any of our locations now a playgroups a really helpful idea yeah they're theologically aligned I can see where they would fit strategically they're pretty good practice uh, we could do them but we don't and that's uh, largely a resource issue. We don't have the resources to currently do that. If in the future, unlimited resources, unlimited money, we actually were able to put um, some playgroups on, yeah, maybe we would. Maybe that would fit at a particular time. And so that's going to be some of the things as well. And then there's going to be other ideas. Someone might say, hey, we'd love to partner with the work that Pioneers is doing in Indonesia. Um, we say that is a, you know, it's a wonderful mission. God bless Pioneers and the work they're doing in Indonesia. But as a local church, we can't take on every possible good idea. And so we can pray for them. We can say, God bless their ministry. We are not going to choose to have the capacity to put into that because you know there's 10,000 wonderful gospel projects that are going on around the globe. Um, we only have capacity to do a few of them. And so helping people see that as well, that can help explain to people why we do this and that and um, why something that they're particularly excited about may not be something that the church takes on, even if we can be excited for them and their particular partnership in an idea. Yeah, I think that's really helpful in terms of the, the implementation thing. I think that's why, again, I'm really excited about it. But that's something that also picked up, and as we were working through the day, was that, and you tell me if this is what you guys heard as well, um, Stu, maybe you go first, but the my thought was that it's also, as we look at what we've done and where we want to go, it might also empower people within our church who perhaps are not even a service team or may want to step up into ser- serving. Um, it may actually highlight those areas where the need is greatest and that mm. they can they can identify where they might be able to step up. Would you agree with that? Yeah, that's a really good point. I think I think there's a there's a there's a kind of two things about going into ministry. Some people are really gifted for particular things, and that's really good. They should be involved in that. Some people really enjoy certain things, and that's really good. Uh, but I think less and less I'm hearing Christians in churches saying, where am I needed? Where's the need? Okay. And I think that that would be, and, and that's actually part of, I think, every church's goal of helping people to grow in their maturity as a Christian, that people might be willing to get involved in a ministry that they might not normally do, but because there's a need, they're going to jump in and do it. And so I think that the wash-up teams in our church, sometimes the wash-up teams and the cleaning teams are some of the the most important culture setting teams in our church because it's people you know i don't often hear people say i have a give, spiritual gift for for drawing up plates um and i think to myself well that's a part of the body of christ that we need to get that done so rather than necessarily having a gift for it maybe we can all just do it or maybe some people are super gifted and can twirl them around and do six plates a minute or something i don't know but but the vast majority of that that is just everyone can get involved so so i think the problem with with ministry is we can become too specialized in 
ministries. And the idea of the different ministry teams is to give people an opportunity to maybe have a chance at having a go at different things during their life in the church as well. So they might be involved in the arts team for a while, but then they might actually help out with the kids' ministry and get to know the kids. Uh, We have a thing called Kids Chill within our kids' ministry that actually encourages everyone in the church who are safe adults to be a part of that. And uh, my thought about that came, the, the Kids Chill basically is people coming in and not being trained kids teachers, but they're actually coming into the kids' space to spend time with the kids uh, and just get to know them in a space that they feel super comfortable in. So we do have common spaces where everyone comes together. We also have adult spaces that kids come into and are part of that. And we also have kids spaces that the adults in appropriate ways can come into and youth as well. Mm. And I think that's a really healthy way of looking at intergenerational. It's not like we all have to do everything all together. So this kids chill idea is, yes, we have kids trained leaders, but what stops someone doing safe ministry and then just saying, I'll, I'll just get to know the kids and play handball with them a bit and ask them questions about what does it mean to be a Christian as a kid in primary school and let them know what it means to be a Christian who's retired or a Christian who's got a big job. Um, that way, I think that's a really healthy thing. And like I said, that I got inspired by that by being a tutor at University of New South Wales because University of New South Wales identified that people who do architecture don't seem to know much about Australian literature or or um, or philosophy, and people who do philosophy or or political science don't know a lot about maths. So they started a department called the General Studies Department, and the General Studies Department was if you did maths, you had to do a subject in political science. And I was a General Studies tutor for a while, and I had a whole heap of mathematicians and and physicists and scientists and whatever all all the practical sciences coming and learning about politics and they didn't want to be there so my challenge was i'm going to try and bring this subject to life for you so that you can actually do something without it being directly beneficial to your career it just helps you as a person understand the world in a broader sense so i think for us as uh adult christians it's really helpful and inspiring to talk to young people who just have this really precious delightful and simple view of what it means to be a Christian. It reminds us of the real fundamentals of our faith and we can learn a lot from kids as well. So that's the shock absorber coming in where we listen to kids, we listen to teenagers, we don't just tell them things. And so for a parent or an adult who's, you know, really tired on a Sunday morning to actually go once a term to hang out with the kids instead of being in the service... They get to have this this friendship and relationship with the young people and they grow up real quick. Uh, I think I've shared this before that we had kids chill when we first started Solis, which was 11 years ago now. And there was a girl, Anna, who was in year five. And the first day I did kids chill, I met all these new kids and Anna was one of the kids. And uh, I said to Anna, oh, so what's happening at school this week? And she said, actually, I'm really worried because I've got an exam coming up. And then I said, oh, I'll pray for you. And she said, oh, okay, she didn't really make much of it. <laughs> but then next week, I wasn't on kids' chill, but she came into church. And I said to Anna as she was coming into church, oh, how did you go with your exam on Thursday? And she said, you remembered that. And I said, yeah. She said, I really didn't think you'd remember that. That's really cool that you remembered that. She said, actually, it turned out not to be as scary as I thought it was. Anyway, Anna's now in her mid-20s, and she's an adult woman at our church. And uh, it's just really nice to have watched her grow up and actually known her through her growing up. And now she's an adult. You know, we can... I sometimes reflect with her. I remember that day when we first talked about your exam back then and and she has a laugh. I think that's really rich. And if we we professionalise our ministries too much and have musicians and have kids' teachers and youth, you know, people say things to me like, oh, I don't do kids' ministry. That's not my thing. I'm like, oh, okay. Not my gift. They're human beings. Like, they're Christian brothers and sisters. Like, just because they're young doesn't mean you can't get to know them. So I think in our world of professionalisation... What we've tried to do at Soul Revival is, yes, we have these 10 service team ministries, but then we're also encouraging people to kind of hang loose to them and kind of move around and experience different things in that general general kind of point of view. Mm. Yeah. That comes up, Joel, with, you know, you've done some thinking and writing recently about gifts of the Spirit. Do you want to share? <laughs> no, I think, it's, I think it's good. No, you're right. Uh, yeah, because you, you marked my assignment. Yeah. <laughs> <laughs> um, I was, yeah, speaking of that, I was, I was, I had, 
uh, toyed with the idea of um, trying to bring that question on before it was due to see if you could answer it for me. <laughs> but I, did, I didn't do that. I thought that's probably too much of a conflict of interest. Um, I'm trying to remember what we actually discussed about it, but it was it was more about it was about um, uh, the question for the essay was someone comes to you and says, "I'm not sure what my spiritual gifts are. How can I find out what they are?" I think that's right. Mm. And I think where I landed on it, and I don't know if I wrote it that well. But it was like, just find somewhere to serve and then God will, the spirit will reveal what you enjoy doing, but also where those opportunities lie and where, where they are in the church. And we've talked, we've talked today, for example, of our, we think uh, life support service team needs a a lot of, Mm. a lot of work on it to, to improve it and to, to build up the leadership in that again. I think that's an example of it, of why I was asking the question about are we being, how can we empower our teams? And our people to be able to go. Oh, these are these are actually places that were, there is a need, there is a requirement, rather than yeah. I, f- I find the thing of like I don't do that or I don't do this is a little bit a little bit individualistic, isn't it? It's it's. Uh, but we're all we're all called to be a body of Christ, and we all are given certain roles within the body, which I learned very much from reading one Corinthians twelve many times when I was writing that essay. Um, and I think I mean personally, it, it frustrates me a little bit when people do say that because I'm like, oh, but we're all just here to serve one another. And I think what 1 Corinthians 12 is saying is we, we're, we're going to church. If, if we, if you're coming in saying, I only do this, you're going, I think there's an element of you're going to serve, like I'm going to church to be served rather than going to serve. And I think that's a real, I mean, that's a, maybe a cultural thing. We've talked about how much individualism and consumerism has affected church. Um, a number of times, but I think I, I do wonder why sometimes we see people doing that. Whereas maybe it's the professionalism too, but I don't. There, there is always a need. I mean, there's, there's such a low barrier to entry of like, as you said, using we used to say, swing on a tea towel and yeah, and clean it's some a good plates way to and start things a church, like that. Yeah, yeah. and, and, and from it, your first day, you can do it that. It is, and someone, for example, someone that's been coming to church um, is not a Christian yet. I don't believe has been coming regularly. Um, she heard a sermon and then said, oh, I better go help on the cleanup team, for example, which is like just, and, but it's interesting to see a a non-Christian do that. That's what I think was interesting about it. And Um, what's nice about that is cleaning up is not a ministry role. It's just being a part of helping with something. Serving, yeah. And yeah, so we've got a bit of a bar of entry to people being Christians Mm. who serve in ministry, but then... Yeah, helping, you know, I, I, I've seen similar things, mate. Like I've seen a guy walk down the driveway for the first time with his wife coming to church and noticed that there was a barbecue and a couple of blokes were flipping sausages for the dinner and he walked straight over to the barbecue and he ended up spending the whole time cooking on the barbecue with these guys but he came back again next week because straight away he felt connected to what was going on. That was kind of nice to see. It doesn't always work like that but... Yeah, I think. I mean, I think it's important to have people who know what they're doing with things. Like, you know, Tim, you've got so many gifts with children's ministry. Joel, your communication gifts are fantastic. Um, I think we do have something to offer. But, you know, I, I, I think of you know my mum and dad are a great example to me when we were growing up. And uh, I remember, you know, if there'd be the end of an activity or something, there'd be some people who pack chairs and some people would stand around and talk because it was important to talk and they had things to say. But my dad used to bring me and my brother up to say, Crawshaw's stack chairs, we don't talk. <laughs> so I got brought up the whole of my life stacking chairs. Is so, that why you throw then, chairs now? Yeah, sometimes <laughs> I throw in a chair. But that's <laughs> that's a random, random throw in. Just a bit of celebration. Yeah, sorry. You um, do get it, just get excited and yeah, celebrate. Yeah, sometimes. So I have done that <laughs> once or twice. But um, stacking chairs is like, that was a great training ground for me in discipleship and like just learning that, you know, how can I serve and be a part of the church? And I think, uh, yeah, the the stacking of chairs is not necessarily a spiritual gift and anyone can do it. But I think also of my mum and dad today, like my dad's still, they're retired now and dad's the treasurer of the church and mum's helping to organise the hospitality team. And they're, you know, mum's, I suppose, when you look at it, she's overseeing feeding about 450 people a week and that's a big job. She's looking after all the cooks and all that sort of stuff. And my dad's, doing some treasury stuff but then on Thursdays every week they go and they clean the toilets and they clean the church and they're trying to gather a group of people to be cleaners and um, yeah they're just very faithful like that so I feel super blessed by that example and seek to use my gifts for the church but also 
consider the fact that there's a whole heap of stuff I can do even if I'm not heaps good at it or not heaps passionate about yeah. it if it needs yeah. to be done. Yeah. So, yeah. Yeah, I think that's good. One final question I was going to ask Tim. What if we, like, you're the pastor of our um, kids' service team. Yep. What do you think you would be l- looking to get out of the planning day? Oh, that's a good question. As if, uh, focusing on your particular service team. From kids' perspective? Yeah. Yeah, okay. Um, I mean, I would love... Uh, I'd love everyone at the church to, you know, be ex- excited about kids' ministry. Um, that would be wonderful. Uh, th- to see it as a really valuable part of mm. what we do as a church. Um, and so particularly when we come to our uh, discipleship and mission and our resource, we think about those goals, to be thinking, okay, how does this apply to the kids in our ministry? And to be thinking, okay, we want to grow them as disciples of Jesus. We want a mission to those children in our community who are not yet uh, friends with Jesus. I mean, we need resources to do that. And one of the things about children's ministry is it is very resource heavy in that you need a high ratio of adults uh, and leaders in order to safely look after and care for kids. Um, and so it's, it's very heavy on personnel resources and it's just heavy on physical resources as well. Like you use a lot of craft supplies and activity supplies and, you know, you need soccer balls and, you know, like all those different things. So it's, it's quite a resource heavy ministry. Um, and so to have the church just uh, be behind that and backing that um, and to see that as a really key part of what we do, uh, I think is really important to me. Um, obviously, I'm you know super passionate about it. Now, you know, that's, that's what I that's what I do. It's where I see God leading me vocationally to be children's ministry in long term. Um, and not everyone has to be as excited as I am about it. You know, not everyone has you know God does make the body in different ways, but for people to just uh, capture a little bit of that excitement and share and some of that excitement would be wonderful. Um, it would be good to be able to non-anxiously communicate the holes that we have in that ministry. So uh, to be able to say, actually, yeah, we're not doing as well in these particular parts of our children's ministry as we would like to. We have uh, holes in human resources. Yeah, There are, there are leadership um, that are uh, weaker than others and there are leaders who are on more often than they should be um, and are getting tired because of that. So we need new influx of people to you know, shift around and to, we talk about um, ministry slide. We need some people to slide into ministry. We need some other people to step up into children's ministry to be able to do that well. Um, as you said, yeah, our gold standard is that every safe adult is involved in kids' chill because they are uh, not the church of tomorrow. They are the church of today. They are our brothers and sisters. And so it, of course we want to get to know them um and so yeah trying to communicate that well trying to communicate that effectively um and then as we there'll be time on the plan day when we gather as the kids team and so for us to be thinking okay how do we continue to resource and encourage each other in this across all the different services um and so there'll be representatives i hope from each of the six gatherings um and uh from our uh, also our sre primary SRE team as well, which is not really a gathering, but it's a different team that also does children's ministry. So they mm. come in alongside as well. So how do we continue to work together well on that and to keep sharing ideas and to start to implement some of those uh, things that we have written down from last year's um, planning day. We, there are some things that we've got. We've, you know, we now have a, a really solid coordinator on Friday night, we, which we didn't have this time last year. Mm. We have a really solid coordinator at Ride, which we didn't have this time last year. Mm. Um, we've you know, reaffirmed uh, the guys that coordinate on Yarrawarra. That's really great. We've got new coordinators on Saturday night, which didn't have this time last year. Um, so that's great to celebrate those things and to see God's faithfulness in mm. the way he has equipped those teams. Um, we're still missing a coordinator on Sunday morning. Uh, we don't really have a functional team on uh, at Cronulla, but we also don't have any families at Cronulla. So we'd love to, and sometimes that's a bit of a catch-22, that um, families might circle through, see that there's not a functioning team and then leave. And then other times it can be, well, there's no kids here, so a functional team's not an urgency. And so, you know, we're just trying to help build that. So that's a, something as well. So, yeah, some of the things from a kid's perspective that I'm really excited about. Well, again, I think we're really blessed to um, have you as our, mm. our kid's pastor. Oh, thanks, mate. Or children's pastor, I should call it, sorry. Mm. But yeah, it's been um, a good way to wrap it up. 
I think. Thank you very much, guys. Thank, thank you, you, Joel. Thank, thank you, you to Joel. this uh, wonderful vista, as we said. <laughs> I mean, there was, I think I heard frogs, birds, and wind chimes yeah, along right. with the wind, but I think I've there's... a magpie running around in the background yeah. most of the time. And it's, it's been lovely. Yeah, it's lovely to be in God's creation recording this mm. podcast. It's mm. pretty, been pretty fun. So thank you also for your leadership, Stu, in um, doing this planning day, or planning for the planning day, as we said. And um, I think that we've talked about a lot. So in terms of like even planning days, if anyone's interested or has thoughts, you can email me, joel at shockazorbo.com.au and we can um, bring them to the podcast, talk about them, uh, whether it's, you know, service teams, as we talked about, uh, even just having a planning day or planning for the planning day or all those kind of things that we've talked about, uh, cybership mission resources, mm. theology, strategy, practice, strategy, especially as I like to reiterate all the time. Mm. But it's been um, fantastic. Thank you, boys. Really thank appreciate you, it. Thank you to yeah. Eck, who produces these podcasts for us all the time. And thank you to listeners or watchers. We appreciate you very, very much. And uh, we'll finish with a one way. One way. One way. One way.